Hi, and welcome to the Mavericks Unlimited podcast. I'm your host, Chris Leroy, and this is the place to be to get unstuck, unleash your superpowers, and create a world that works for all. On this podcast, we speak to Mavericks who inspire us. We aim to get the insight and wisdom from their story to give you the clarity, courage, conviction that you need to make your mark on the world. On this week's episode, our guest is life coach, writer, and deep thinker, Olivia Da Silva. Olivia went through a life-changing moment in 2006, which led her on a journey to discover what's truly valuable in life. Through different ups and downs and moments of thinking, is this all there is? She's cultivated an approach to life that really is values-based. This led her to train as a coach and write her book, The Whole Life Economy. As she says, recognize your true value and improve the quality of your life. I love that Olivia has written her book based on her own experiences and experiments. Her work is deep and heart-based, yet practical in everyday life. So with that, let's jump right in. So hi Mavericks, it's Chris here again with the Mavericks Unlimited podcast. I'm totally delighted today to have uh, a guest who's actually quite local to us here at Mavericks in Brighton, Olivia De Silva. Olivia is a life coach who has written a book called The Whole Life Economy and she has a great philosophy on uh, the value that we have as human beings and how we can live our lives. So hi Olivia, how are you doing today? Hi Chris, I'm good, thank you. It's really nice to be here. It's lovely to have you on this beautiful sunny day in Brighton. Yeah, wonderful. Um, so Olivia, first question question that I always ask my guests is tell us a little bit about yourself tell us a bit about your story is okay right? my story okay bit difficult to know where to start when you just say that it's such an open question absolutely here we go okay so I guess I can start with um how the book opens up really um I hit a really important turning point in my life and it was uh September 2006 I was driving home from work one day. I was living in Bristol at the time. Mm-hmm. I don't know if you're familiar with the Bristol rush hour traffic, but it is it's quite legendary. It's uh, pretty horrendous, yeah, isn't you know. it? <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. So I was sitting in this traffic jam driving home from work one day, and it usually 45 minutes to get home. It mm. was just becoming you know, endless. And right. I had this moment sitting in this traffic jam. I just suddenly became aware that is this the life I set out to have? It was just everything seemed... I had this, this moment where everything just seemed to be superficial, soulless. I could see all these, I, I talk about in the book, I talk about, I was sitting in this metal box, looking mm. at the metal box in front of me with another human being staring at the metal box in front of them. And I just, it felt so disconnected and soulless. And I thought, this is not, this is not the life I set out to have. Right. This is not what I wanted. Was that ever a kind of, uh, do you ever had that kind of moment before or? Um, not to that level. Okay. Not to that, le- not to the level where I think I was prepared to listen to it. I think that might right. be the difference There's in this difference, moment. Right. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I was prepared to listen to it. And um, so what I, you know, I mentioned in the book is, you know, look back now, I can, I can understand and make more sense of that moment, um, obviously looking back and starting writing about it. But what, what had happened nine months before that is my brother had died quite, oh, okay. quite suddenly. And he was 42 and he died. Wow. Yeah, yeah. He died alone on on, oh. a, on his own in his bedroom at home. Oh. And uh, wow. okay, yeah. So it's really sad. And my biggest regret was that I hadn't spent more time with him. Okay, I can understand that. Yeah, 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 yeah. yeah. So I was so busy. I was living this lifestyle. I was really busy. I mean, I'd worked hard to get to where I was. So this was the thing, you know. I'd worked hard to get to this point. I'd, I would, uh, I'd progressed well in my career, much better than I ever thought I would do. Actually, mm. came from sort of quite humble beginnings, and you know, I kept moving up in my my job, and then I started studying for an MA in business management and I was working full-time I was studying part-time right and just constantly busy and I was on this trajectory going somewhere but I kind of got to this point I thought actually this is not this isn't what I want this is not the life I want wow what realization to have yeah absolutely what absolutely so this is a so this is the point and I and I say in the book that you know a paradigm shift was required yeah yeah, (laughs) absolutely I needed something to to I needed something to change I just yeah. So where did you go from there then? Because I mean, it's one thing having that realization, mm. isn't it? It's another thing actually doing something with it. Absolutely. So I mean, we call that those pivot moment, and yeah. we know you're a fan of Jenny Blake as yeah, well, and yeah. so you know she's <laughs> written about pivot moments. So that's a pivot moment. So yeah. how did you pivot from there? How did I pivot from there? So um, I gave up my studies. 
Right. I'd done quite well. I'd achieved a postgrad diploma in business management, and I'd really enjoyed the studying up to that point, and and I felt I'd achieved what I needed to mm. at that point. So I packed in the MA part halfway through because okay. it became about getting letters after my name, and it was just yeah. like no, too much effort for for what um, ego. So mm. that went, um, and so yeah, and I say in the book that the universe must have heard my cry because I don't really know how it happened, but I ended up meeting a man and um, uh, moving out to France to be with him. Oh wow! Okay. Yeah, and so he, um, yeah, I don't know. It, it, I, I met him, and he was living in France, and I we just connected. Mm-hmm. On a level that I'd never connected with another man before, on that kind of a, on a relationship level, and he was living in France, and I was, he really caught my attention. I mean, I met him online, but I he really caught my attention because he wasn't saying I'm going to do this, I'm going to do that, I'm going to do that. He was doing it. He'd packed up his job in London, mm. and he'd bought an old uh, piece of land and an old uh, built barn out in France and he was renovating the barn and he was developing a small holding on his land and mm. it just sounded like the idyllic lifestyle and so he said come out and meet me so I went out there to meet him and we fell in love basically wow I know I know it's an amazing story and so so by the September the, the next September I say a year later I'd packed in my studies I'd handed in my notice on my office job and I was preparing to move to France to be with him Mm. Um, I sold my metal box. I gave away half my wardrobe that was no longer <laughs> necessary. <laughs> um, yeah, so yeah, I gave all that up and then moved out to France. So December, I moved out to France. December two thousand and seven, I moved out to France to be with him. Okay, okay. So that's what happened. <laughs> wow. Okay. So that was then. We're now in. You know, we're now in twenty eighteen. So <laughs> give us give us the headlines of what of what sort of happened in between to lead you to doing your coach training headlines. and. Yeah, just just kind of a, a quick quick kind of sketch of the territories. Okay, were. right. So yeah, things didn't work out as I expected them to in France. I went to live this idyllic lifestyle and found out actually it was a lot more difficult than I expected. I'd kind of given up this whole identity of the office and the you know business and all that stuff, and then thought, who am I in this new world? I did, I don't know. Couldn't really speak the language, so right. I was quite lost. And then, so what happened through there is. I talk, talk about, I mean, again, this is the philosophy of the book. What what started to become apparent for me, I was I was desperately trying to find some connection. And, you know, after I'd done that, I, I felt even more disconnected when I moved to mm. France. And then what I recognised is that the value, the, the connection I was looking for actually was in my life all the time. I was just taking it for granted. And right. this recognition came through my relationship with food. Because um, we we had a lot, we had a small holding out there. We were raising chickens, sheep, mm. ducks and geese. Wow. And they were livestock. Yeah. So apologies if you're a vegetarian. Yeah, no, I'm not not sure no, <laughs> no, I'm not vegetarian. I used to be, but not okay, anymore. Not anymore. Okay, so we understand, yeah. Apologies to any vegetarians who might be listening, but I mean actually, you know, having said that, vegetarians and vegans understand a lot more about our, my philosophy when I talk to them. They have a great understanding because we had a relationship with our animals. I was warned not to name any of the animals. And I named every single animal that came through the land, and I had a re- we had a relationship with them, and then they'd go off to slaughter, and we'd bring them back home for food. Mm. And what I recognised was in that experience, I was investing so much more in my relationship with food than I ever thought was possible. I, I had ever been conscious of to go to the supermarket and just buy it and mm. bring it home and eat it. So. I recognised that the, the value in that relationship and how it was impacting our quality of life was incredible. So, um, yeah, I mean, it was very emotional. I, I, was very, I didn't. It was very emotional the day the animals would go to slaughter. Yeah. I was able to handle that emotion, and I felt that the animals' life was honoured actually mm. because we let them go, we honoured them, and then when we did use the meat, we used the best possible ingredients. We used cooking techniques that were really suitable mm. for it and that you know and we we really honored that food and then i recognized the impact that had on my quality of life so really that that philosophy is what i've developed into the book your whole life economy so that the strap line of the book is recognize your true value mm. and improve your quality of life so that's what that's about so yeah anyway so fast forwarding you asked me for headlines so yeah. it's quite difficult yeah so anyway um I won't go into the whole story of what happened in France, but we ended up coming back to England. And um, in fact, yeah, I won't go into all of that. But um, 
I went back to working in an office job right. in England uh, yep. for a while, and um, we ran out of money in France. It's, it's a long story. Mm. We actually spent the first two years of our married life living apart because I came back here to to work, to work while my husband carried on with the building out there. Right. And so then he came back, and so I was working in um, working in an office. And I had a good job and actually quite enjoyed my job. I was working in export sales and I got to travel and meet people and I really liked the people I was working with. It's a nice company. And sure. But it wasn't what I wanted. Yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> Again, I had this, you know, and I, I think if I'd have put my mind to it, I probably could have progressed the career at that point yeah. and worked through that company. They offered, there were opportunities there, but it wasn't what I wanted anymore. So when my husband came back from France, we ended up, um, long story short, we ended up working in estate management together so we could use our skills that we got in france right with the land and my husband's very very clever and he can um he knows a lot of stuff he's in the estate he just knows a lot of stuff yeah, so yeah, he's yeah. able he's very capable and he you know so we we ended up working in estate management right so that's what we do now kind of day job and then a few so it's a very relaxed way of life and it's a part-time for me and um sounds lovely yeah so uh we work in it, outside a lot and there's land and uh, there's no animals where we are but we do get to look after the land it's in the countryside yeah yeah, yeah. so it's a beautiful way of life and so after a while i got into thinking well what do what do i want to do next mm. and it was almost like i'd let go of everything there was a, another point i'd let go of everything but i was in a real position where i was like um you know stable um i had a lot of stability there and i was able to think like what what do i want to do next and I got the idea to train as a life coach. I remember the moment actually that I had this idea. I was January 2016. I was right. getting ready for the day. January is that kind of year where we tend to think about these yeah, things. Yeah, yeah, absolutely. <laughs> yeah. What do I do? What next? New year, uh, new you. Yeah. And actually, there it is. It's a funny story because I'd I'd um I'd applied to go on an art course. Oh, right. It, it's a painting course because I thought I really want to, you know, get back into doing something creative. I'd recognised how important a creative outlet had been for me when I was yeah. in France and I was having difficult times out there, sort of emotionally. Learned that creative outfit was really important. Creative outlet was really important. So I applied to do this art course and a typical artist. They haven't replied to my inquiry. <laughs> 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 so I, I'd emailed them about three times and then thought. Sounds about right, doesn't yeah. it? <laughs> so what else? So anyway, so I'm quite glad I didn't do that because I don't know what I'd have done with it. But anyway, so I thought I might train to be a life coach. And then I thought, why didn't I think of that before? It seemed really obvious. So I had coaching. I'm a real fan of life coaching. I've been coached. My first experience of coaching was when I was 31. So it was you know before that moment. Mm. So I, I really attribute the, a lot of the changes and the development I've made in my life to, through coaching. Absolutely. So I'm a real passionate, real fan of it. And so I thought, oh, why shouldn't I train to be a life coach? And I thought, I don't know why I didn't think of that before. Right, right, <laughs> so okay. Then, so then I found this course um, with uh, Animus Centre for Coaching in London. I'm giving a shout out here because they're a fantastic organisation. Yeah. And um, um, I, I saw their course and, yeah, it was um, just the level they were training at. I thought, that's, that, that's what I want to do. And so I started my, my journey to be a life coach with them. Awesome. Awesome. So there you go, there's headlines. That's Absolutely that. amazing. <laughs> Absolutely. So so that that's amazing. What I really like there is a, a couple of things I really heard. Number one, when you were talking about like the small holding the animals, you know, I mean, your book is called The Whole Life Economy, and we'll come to that in a second, but the notion of the economy, you were talking about value, you were talking about investing. Mm. Um, you know, it, it, we tend to kind of think of those words to do with money, but of mm. course, money represents value. So, mm. I, so it's kind of, I hear it right there and then. And so this... You know, it's not just a, a, a gimmicky concept to you. Mm. Um, the other thing that I really like, and I just want to pull out, is the notion that I think, you know, a lot of people go through that almost like double pivot, as it were, that time when you kind of, you have that first moment when you kind of think, life's not working, and then something comes along that seems better, so you take that. Mm. And it's like, oh, life's going to be, this is the way life's going to be, and what? But then actually it doesn't work out. Mm. And actually, I mean, I can certainly relate to that myself, you know, with my... Uh, Living, living in San Francisco thing. So it's just really interesting to hear that. So coming coming forwards then, so you have written this book, The Whole Life Economy, um, and I, when we were speaking earlier, you were talking about it being based in your own experience. Mm -hmm. So tell us a bit about 
what it was like to write the book coming from your own experience. Yeah, coming from my own experience. So this is a yeah, quite an interesting story, I guess. So when I set out to train as a life coach, I, I genuinely did it with the with my own personal development in mind. And I didn't go into it thinking I'm going to set up a business or have an offering. Um, and I remember saying to my husband, actually, um, I'm going to I want I'd love to do this course. Uh, it's quite an investment and I can't guarantee a return on that investment because I don't, I don't know what I'm going to do with it. I could get to the end of it and do nothing with it. And anyway, so right. he supported me in that. And it was lovely because I was able to attend the course and just really enjoy the experience of learning to be a coach and mm. and how to bring myself into that with no expectation of what I need to deliver at the end of it. And it, you know, and actually, that has become quite an important part of my strategy and how I live my life is learning to put myself into something and without any without letting go of the expectation and the outcome mm. at the end and just allow, allowing things to unfold and so, it's because, so that's how I actually approached the business because I was being coached I've got quite a fantastic coach who I met through the course and she's still one of my coaches today I've got three coaches and um Great. <laughs> <laughs> I told you I'm, I'm passionate and um I remember I had a, a session with her and it sort of kind of started to emerge. If I wanted to do something with this coaching, I was going to have to set up a business to do it. Wow. Yeah. And uh, and that was exciting mm. for me because I knew, I mean, I've worked in businesses before. I'm very competent. I've done business studies. So I, I know that I know what to do. Yeah. It's just that I've never found anything that I was passionate enough about it to want to do it because I'm, there's a lot of hard work. <laughs> There is a lot of hard work in a business, right? There's a lot of nitty gritty. There's a lot of like terms and conditions and stuff that you have to know. Oh my god! Yeah. If you're going to protect yourself, and I just thought I can't be bothered all. I need to have something that I'm really, really your why. I need to be led with that why mm. in order to you know get through the nitty gritty mundane day to day things that I actually don't really want to do, but I will do because it will serve the bigger purpose. So right. That's become quite an important part of what I do. Um. So then. When I finished my coaching training, I started working with a business coach, mm. a wonderful woman who's in my book, um, who's also my yoga teacher. Oh, okay. Mm. And so her coaching is, she's she's a very special woman. And um, she really got me to, obviously I resonate very, very deeply with her philosophy and how she brings that into a business level. Mm. But her approach was, um, well, how are you going to bring yourself into your business? what 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 do you want to deliver to the world and I said well I'm a coach so we just we sit back and we we see what the client wants to bring to us she said well how are you going to distinguish yourself uh, uh, in this sea of life coaches that are out there because we've got over a thousand coaches in our community now wow that's so, a lot of coaches yeah it is it's a lot of coaches yeah but you know what people want to have an impact great you know it's fantastic to yeah, be part yeah, of yeah absolutely and uh so she really got me to connect with my story and my transformation and what it was mm. I wanted to bring. And so I went back to um, the part of my story. This is when I wrote that part of the story um, about the turning point that I'd had. I'd already written that actually as part of my studying. So I yeah. kind of connected with that point as being important in my life. And so I started to develop that and to think about this concept of value and how important that was to me because this this is a word that I've always found myself using a lot so even you know long before I started mm. I remember in my first session with my coach she said you use this word value a lot let's explore this word you know how we do in coaching and, yeah, uh, yeah 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 so it's like it's just it's a really important word to me um mm. so then I started to to develop this um and I didn't set out to write a book when I started it's, it's written in there and this is this is genuinely how it happened. When I started to write, I love writing. I'm, right. I, you know, I love communicating through writing. It's, it's a great, it's a great tool. It's a great method for me. And I, when I sat down to start writing, um, just a lot of stuff came out. And I recognized, and I started mm. to develop this concept. Um, and I, I, I had this idea to, to relate it to, to, the global economy how we value our lives so uh, identifying a set of personal resources that we have as human beings mm. so these are the things that we all have to offer the world but the point is we're probably taken for granted so and that is based around my experience of the relationship with food so I've expanded that um, and so I started to write and 
yeah, and it just started to emerge. And then I remember the day that I, it was actually April the twenty second last year. Yeah, I sat down yeah. and thought, I'm going to write a book. Oh, okay. So I thought, so this is what I'm going to do. So I set out to write a book, and again, it was that kind of um, the the process of doing it or the way of doing it was to I'm just going to do this and I'm not going to worry about what I'm going to do with it I'm just going to do it because I, I right. felt I needed to do it you so know? really being present in the process of being writing present, it yeah and listening to listening to, to what it was I wanted to do but I just had this urge to write so I sat down I came off all my social media and blacked it all out and I haven't done that same exercise since then but it was just so refreshing <laughs> no, <not to> <laughs> no Twitter so, no nothing. Facebook no Instagram nothing it was nothing I came off it all and I wrote this book over, and I wrote it over a period of about five weeks, and it developed the the, the basic structure of was written over a period of about five weeks. Mm-hmm. And um, I was I read a lot, um, and the the book is referenced. So it's my experience and my insights have gone into this concept, but I've also connected with a lot of other people's work through it. So there's a lot of quotes, there's a lot of connecting with other people's yeah. their influence upon me through the work. So. Yeah. So great, great stuff. So, so you've got this this idea of value and the and connecting it to the whole life co- uh, to to the global economy, as it were. If you were to kind of give us the top line of of what the idea is, mm. what would how would you kind of summarize it? Okay, so the concept of your whole your whole life economy is based around seven personal resources. I've identified that we've all got as human beings, but we're probably taken for granted. So the seven right. resources are is time. Yep. Number two is attention. Mm-hmm. Number three is our physicality. Right. Number four is money. Right. <laughs> <laughs> Number five is wisdom. Number six is compassion, and number seven is joy. Interesting. Yeah. What 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 brought you to those seven? Because you know some of those people will identify with straight away time. You know, physicality, probably money. Yeah. You know, those are the things that people get in the external. Mm. But you've dug a little deeper, and I think it's fair to say that this book has some, um, dare I say, kind of spiritual roots to it. Absolutely. Because, uh, and you're talking about internal resources like compassion and joy. Mm. So, how did you come to those ones as well? Mm. Yeah. So that it is a spiritual concept. I've, uh, I've, I didn't. I've uh, owned that. Yeah, it's a spiritual concept wrapped in a very practical package. Right. So I think I believe it will appeal to people who are not wouldn't necessarily call themselves spiritual. Uh, I don't necessarily call myself spiritual, but uh, but you know, I'm down with the idea that there's a there's a greater, deeper meaning to, yeah. to life. And uh, yeah, so it's really aimed at people like that. I think I think it can it will help connect with people like that. So, um, what was your question? So the question was, how did you come did to those de- yeah. Yeah, those deeper yeah. resources? Yeah, so deeper resources. So. So the time is obvious. I mean, that obviously came from my um, experience around losing my brother and recognizing yeah. how important my time was. And so that transition I made then. Um, attention, that came to me actually through reading a book, um, a chap called Michael Crawford, who's written a book called, um, God, I think I've got the title, I can never remember it. It's basically how to flourish in, a, in an age of distraction or the world inside, outside your head or something like that. It's right, like, okay. We'll he, find it. We'll yeah, link yeah, it in the show yeah, notes. Okay, yeah. So he's, uh, he, he, it talks about the attentional economy, oh. and this is the this is the the principle that you know that marketers you know our attention is valuable yeah, yeah to marketers yeah. out there you know and, and they class the attentional economy is is based upon the fact that our attention is a scarce resource. It's so they recognise right? that absolutely. So marketers recognise that. So they will be doing everything within their power to grab our attention towards their service and their product, and often that's done in a very negative way. Mm. And uh, you know, not just not anybody political parties, you know, anything. It's so true. often, often feeding into our fear and, and neg- negativity and and all that kind of stuff. Yeah. And so, my concept around attention is that this is entirely within our control. Our attention is entirely within our control, and if it's so valuable to them, why is it not valuable to us? That's a really good question, <laughs> isn't it? Yeah. And uh, how many of us t- spend our times 
going back to the social media thing yeah. of like we're in a, we're in a queue in the supermarket, whatever. Mm. It's like oh, I'm bored. I'm just going to look at Facebook or whatever. It's like um, we punctuate life with a with a look at Facebook. <laughs> right, absolutely. Yeah. And how many how many couples sit on the sofa in the evening, I kind know. of just look on their phones? Yeah, guilty. Do do this, by the way. Yeah, absolutely. I'm totally, totally guilty. I, I think that's yeah. the caveat with writing yeah. a book, isn't it? Just because we've written about it doesn't mean say we've got <laughs> it sorted. I'm not an expert, though. Totally not an expert. But, but you know, but it, I think you know the point is is that um, it is within our control. My attention is within, is within my control, and I tend to so valuing the resource of attention for me is meditation. Yep. A meditation practice is absolutely crucial for me, and yeah. I come back to that in other aspects of the book as well. Um, intention so Mm -hmm. managing through my intentions and what I intend to bring to the world so again this goes back to my what am I bringing in rather than what I'm trying to get out yeah yeah yeah. Um, managing our beliefs this is a really really powerful aspect of the resource of attention managing Mm. our beliefs and this is something that you know has come to me through my coaching is that uh, you know instead of limiting beliefs empowering beliefs right uh, we can we can change a limiting belief into an empowering belief, and this is what I was trained to do through through my coaching. So there's 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 stuff in the book about uh, you know about that how mm-hmm. to do that. Um, awesome. Yeah. So that so that's um, time and attention. Yeah. So what? Phys- so physicality and money. You said yeah. You think that's probably quite obvious. Well, physicality. Let me just say that you know that the 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 principle behind this is about the gift of life. So. F- physicality people tend to think i'm going to talk about nutrition and exercise and and i don't i talk about valuing the gift of life the Mm. most important gift we've ever been given you know gary vaynerchuk talks about um you know we're the the statistic one in 400 trillion Trillion people who've ever been born right yeah 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 so no you have a one in 400 trillion chance of being alive so i I refer to oh yeah 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 yeah. Yeah. and i say you know let you use your imagination as to where that comes from (laughs) we don't like to think about our parents having sex do we (laughs) not generally (laughs) no (laughs) no so yeah so it's one in 400 trillion chance that we have of being having this life so it's having that using that as a perspective but also recognizing so the other part of it is, is my yoga practice comes within physicality mm. again this again this is my experience so other people's concept of this might be different right but you know what how i've learned through my yoga practice to to value the body i've got rather than thinking oh god i wish i was gonna lose half a stone or you know i'm not happy with this bit you know um, yeah it's like yeah. I think instead of looking at my body like that thinking how amazing it is i've got the gift of life today I'm free from physical pain. I'm fortunate to be free from physical pain. I, I mean, I work at that. Mm-hmm. And uh, but the point is, when you come from that perspective, how this is the the principle behind the the whole concept really is that when we value that, we will treat it better. Yeah, 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 absolutely. When we value what we've got, we will want to exercise. We'll want to treat our body better because we'll, we'll recognise the value of it. So it's coming at it from a different aspect, and that will improve our quality of life. Mm. Mm, I love that. It will improve our relationship with food. It will improve our relationship with exercise and, you know, all that kind of stuff. So it does come into it. So I'm just cu- just curious to dive into that for a second. Yeah, um, because, as you say, if we value it, then we will, the behaviours and all that will change. Yes. And, you know, we're kind of talking like Robert Diltz here, logical levels. You're talking about an identity or belief level of change yeah. that will influence the outside. So an inside level of change will Yes. How do you, if you're in that place of you know oh, I wish, wish I was thinner or you know I wish I could drop some weight or you know you're in that kind of negative place mm. and you want to make that shift to actually valuing mm. what you do have, how do you make that shift? How do you make that shift? Well, bringing it into the awareness. As I said, that concept that the one in four hundred trillion chance we have of having this life on this earth today, recognizing that the you know how precious that gift of life is and coming from that perspective mm. will have an impact on how you treat yourself now you know if you're desperately unhappy with your with your body and I know some people are and I have been in the past mm. um, it's not an overnight matter it's not going to change overnight but you know in the moment you can change how you feel about yourself in the moment we can we can change how we feel about ourselves we can choose to accept and then use that as a as a mm. as a motive to change rather than I need to change before I can accept. I mean, it's, you know, it's very kind of logical and sounds very simple. I know it sounds really, really simple. And, you know. It's like meditation, right? It's simple, but not necessarily easy. Yeah, exactly. Um, but, exactly. 
but there you go. So okay, so that's physicality. Yeah. What was number four? That was money, money. right? Yeah. So uh, what would you say around that? I mean, because obviously money is a big thing for people. Mm-hmm. Uh, this is linked to the economy, the yeah. the concept of. So what would you say around the value of money? Money, value of money. So how do we increase the value of our own money? Mm. Yeah. So <laughs> I argue that we don't really want money. Nobody really wants money. Right. Um, we want what money brings. Right. So we want the security mm-hmm. that money brings us. We want the freedom to go out and eat and socialize and do that kind of stuff and buy what we want. So we don't really want what money. We want what money brings. And so the what money brings to us is is energy. Yep. And money can be, you know, so money can be a great catalyst for character. It's something that I've observed over the years. Mm. You know, having too much of it, having too little of it can really bring out in character. And I've been through times and I've had, I've never had that problem of having too much money, personally. <laughs> I've had the problem of having too little money. Right, 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 right. <laughs> Quite a lot. And uh, and actually, you know, learning to, to learning to cope with that is another story. But um, the, the creativity that actually brings out. Have it, when mm. money is a scarce resource in our life, you know how we actually have to be very creative, you know about it's true, about right? how we feed ourselves healthily and you know how, what we do with our money, how how we use our time when we can't afford to go to the cinema or, or something like that. You know, yeah, what we yeah, do instead, yeah. you know, how do we bring joy to ourselves without you know we don't have money, so it can be it can be real you know really creative. But we've gone off on a tangent, but anyway, but you know, so the point is about um, the energy that money brings. So. And it's about manage, m- managing that energy to make sure that it does bring security, it does bring freedom. It's not bringing isolation. It's not bringing a burden. Mm. Um, you know, money is, you know, great. It does bring power. With yeah. power comes great responsibility, as we right. know. Right, absolutely. And, uh, yeah, so it's how to manage that. And so my point about money is, is it's not just increasing the value of money to ourselves, but it's increasing the value of our money to the world. So... Um, it's thinking about the supply chains we're supporting mm-hmm. with our purchases. Yep. So for me personally, I would rather go. Um, I do like to shop local. I mean, I know this is kind of it seem, can seem like a bit of a middle class privilege. Actually, you know, very lucky in Brighton. You've got lots of independent. Yeah, absolutely. And, you know, you've got lots of opportunity to do that in, in this environment. But you know, I, I do go to the supermarket, of course, as well. But I do like to go to my little local bookshop. Is my uh, is my favourite one. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Yeah, you know, and supporting local traders and. You know, and think about well. You know, okay, it doesn't, it doesn't have a. Yeah, I think about the supply chains that we're supporting, like the fast fashion and technology and that kind of stuff. Mm-hmm. Um, and then of course we have to live in the modern world as well. So there's a very practical aspect of this, and this is not about oh, don't go to the supermarket or don't, right, right, you know, right, buy on Amazon or anything like that. It's not. It's just about being consciously aware about what the supply chains your your finances are supporting. So the point about shopping locally and independent traders and things like that is like you know. You, okay, you might not have a big impact on taking it away from the supermarket, but you have a big impact on that on that trader by supporting them. And often, when you're supporting an imp- independent local trader, you're supporting mm. somebody who's got a great passion, who's working incredibly hard to keep a business running. And you know, and something I always find as well is is the experience I have of shopping. I mean, you know, so it becomes an experience of going and talking to somebody who's really passionate about what they do, right. and they're selling, and you right. know, it becomes an experience. And then, you know, whatever I'm buying. Becomes with a story to it, so this is something that you know. Stories add value. Yeah, I think that's entirely true. Stories add value to to everything. It just stops it from. I mean, when I think about you know, I'm suddenly thinking about even if you go round a you know a, a Waitrose or an M and S or what people would consider to be like a really higher end supermarket, it's still very commoditized, isn't it? Yes. It's still very let's. Everyone walk around like a bunch of drones, pushing their trolleys around, and <laughs> it's not going into your local greengrocer or whatever, and mm. you know, yeah. finding out what's happened to I don't know, Mrs. Miggins this week yeah, exactly. or whatever. Exactly. You, know? Make, you know, the community aspect of that. There's, there's a lot to it. There's a lot of that, and you know, and again, you know, people listen to this. Well, I haven't got time for that, and a lot of people haven't got time for that. You know, they've got kids to pick up, and they've got you know all that kind of stuff. And yeah, okay, that's fine. But you know, it's just, I guess, it's just being consciously aware and right. You know, making a small small effort can make a big make a big impact. I think that's, I really believe that. That's what I'm really hearing in a lot of this, Olivia. It's um, a lot. I'm hearing the word consciousness a lot yeah. and attention. Mm. Um, sorry, awareness even um, and uh, energy. 
where we, you know, it's as you said earlier about that intention attention. It's like, what are we aware of? Where do we place our energy? And it's kind of almost just being that bit more aware raises mm. our experience, raises our va- the value of our experience. Yeah. Well, you know, I say that the currency of the whole life economy is your energy. Right. So, yeah, so it's either positive radiating energy or negative draining energy. Right. So that's where so that's the whole point around the, the resources. We invest our resources in a way that brings us a positive return of energy. Love that. Simple. Love that. So let's just talk about those last three resources. Yeah, last three. So number five. Wisdom. Wisdom. So absolute favourite. Yeah, <laughs> I, I'm a big fan of wisdom, but it's not a word we use a lot in today's uh in today's um society, is it? Yeah, so, I'm gonna bring it back. Let's bring it back. Yeah, let's, absolutely. <laughs> all for that. So tell us a little bit about what you mean by that. Yeah, so wisdom is created through our experience. Right. Yeah. And um you know, and this is the resource that, that gets better with age. It just, you know, it grows with age. And, um, yeah, so I talk about where maybe when we're not valuing the resource of wisdom is that we might end up experiencing the same thing again and again and again. I don't know if you've ever had that. In your oh, God, patterns, 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 yeah. patterns, yep. Yeah, so it's recognising I'm at this point again. Oh, my God, what do I need to do to get beyond this point? So it's, it's a lesson we need to learn. So that, yeah. that's that principle. But then... It's also the resource of wisdom is that we each as human beings, and I know you resonate with this, we, we have, all have a unique contribution to make to the world. Totally. Yeah. So Love that. We make whatever makes us up as a unique individual human being is, you know, we can bring this to the world and, and it will have an impact in whichever way. It will have an impact on us. It has an impact on me living this way. And I believe it will have an impact on everybody else if they can tune into the fact that, yeah, I have something special. I have something to, to bring. And mm. this is precious. This is a precious resource. The other aspect of this is um, something we don't sort of hear very often nowadays, but respecting our elders. Mm. You know, it's like our elders have a, a, a time perspective we will never have. Right. A source of wisdom that we'll never have. And, you know, that often in, in our society is so often deva- not respected devalued you know older people in the workplace being out there it's just and that's something that i feel quite passionate about is right respecting well i you well you meant you mentioned earlier uh about gary vaynerchuk and mm. obviously he's been talking about i mean he's been talking about people in their 40s and 50s mm. and you know obviously that's midlife mm. and you know i i hear that notion of you know people who are you know in their 60s 70s 80s 90s whatever uh, and their time perspective, yeah. but it, it, it's a real thing that in modern society we kind of have lost sight of, isn't it? I think so, yeah. Um, I think so. And a lot of kind of traditional or tribal societies, for example. That was the point I put in the book. Imagine if the elders in our workplace were treated as the el- elders in a tribal community, and how that might look in our workplace and our families. Right, right, right. Yeah. And it's, it's interesting, isn't it? Because when you th- but also when you think about like those people who are at the top of the food chain, as it were, in business, very often, you know, there's a way of acting that isn't necessarily like the wisdom keepers of a tribe, for example. Yeah. <laughs> you know, there's a whole there's a whole um, way that a tribe works that maybe a company doesn't and all that. But you yes, know, yes, but it's yes, an yes. but it's an interesting interesting thing. So tell us about compassion and joy. So compassion and joy. So compassion came about actually because I was considering. Um, love as a resource and it talks in this okay. little section in the back that says where is the love and uh i was thinking about it but it didn't seem to to fit quite quite uh it didn't seem to fit well and i came across i don't know if you're familiar with the work of cindy wigglesworth no don't know her. the 21 skills of spiritual intelligence okay so interesting spir- spiritual intelligence is like the sort of the next stage on from emotional intelligence yeah, yeah, it's not very yeah. well known actually but um she's I really resonated with her because it's a very practical framework for spirituality, mm, actually. Mm. So she talks about love in there, and I, I reference the book in uh, her work in my book a couple of times. And um, this is one of them. So she she talked about love, and she said, "Well, love is it's very difficult to quantify love." Um, and she came across this quote that said, uh, "If love is a bird, one wing is compassion, and the other is wisdom." Uh, so I thought, yeah, I really like that. So that kind of really fitted, obviously, with analogy. So I thought, yeah, bring compassion. And then, you know, so I thought about, and the other thing I thought about love, so the whole concept of all these resources is when you invest in them. So we're on a transactional level all the time. Yeah, yeah. You know, we we are 
um, investing our resources, we're consuming, we're distributing, and we're consuming all at the same time. It's about getting that quality of energy within that mm-hmm. transaction. So we're transacting with these resources all the time. Yeah. But when we give love, in a love in its purest form, is surely unconditional. Mm-hmm. So do we, we don't give love with any expectation of return. So love doesn't fit within, I don't believe it doesn't fit within this. But then somebody said to me the other day, well, surely love shouldn't underpin it all. And I thought, well, isn't that beautiful? Yeah, absolutely. Yeah. So compassion, yeah, compassion is a really important resource. Um, you know, compassion is our uh, response to suffering. Mm-hmm. And as I talked about earlier with the attention economy and, you know, how we are, suffering is so present in our faces a lot of the time right uh, what's going on in the world and you know it's very easy to become exhausted yeah with the resource of compassion and then compassion fatigue is an an actual condition wow interesting yeah Yeah, compassion fatigue it's the people who are working in the in the helping industry can you know can be subject to compassion fatigue as well they can actually switch off and numb out to it yeah, yeah. Okay, just just start to see it because because you, you, you've exhausted. It's exhausted. Your resource of compassion is exhausted. Right. So so it literally is um, finite, as it were. Yeah, I think so. I think so. But but it doesn't have to be. So it doesn't have to be. And um, actually, I used um, uh, I, I came across a clip from Brené Brown just recently. Mm-hmm. Where she talked about she talked about boundaries. Yeah. And so this is the important aspect of compassion is boundaries. So um, so my point is, and also recognizing the sort of the transactional level is that recognizing that there's a time to give help and there's a time that we need ask for help. So which is huge. Yeah, asking for help can be a real challenge for a lot of people. I would say in many ways that's more of a challenge for people than giving help. I think I think so. Yeah, and it's also recognizing why we're we giving help. Are we giving help to is that for our self worth? Is it because we want something in return, or are we giving help truly because we want to help another person? So right, being able to ha- be of real help to another person and have an impact on another person's life and seeing them change and grow as a result of the, of something you've been able to bring to them that is an, a massive privilege. Absolutely. A massive privilege for, to be involved in someone else's life on that level. And so if we're not asking for help, if we're not giving that privilege to another person and being able to open ourselves up when we need it and ask for help when we need it and say, hey, you know, and, and allow another person to have an impact on us, then, you know, where's the balance there? So Yeah, 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 absolutely. That's what that's about. Yeah. Makes sense. And then last but not least, joy. Joy, yeah. yeah joy is, um, yeah, joy is, so I, I found, I always said, I found joy the most, the most difficult to write about and um and i don't really know where the resource of joy came from um in terms of the concept it just it wasn't finished with six so it wasn't i knew it wasn't finished with six mm. and i thought about joy and so um so joy i've written from the angle of um so we can devalue the resource of joy by joy light i call it so flipping through your instagram page in the morning and like all the inspirational quotes yeah, yeah that's nice okay moment then, right, joy exactly way and then going off into the world and you're completely forgetting about that five minutes later because yeah you're in the traffic jam or whatever so that's not really valuing the resource of joy so valuing the resource of joy would be recognizing that you know that there is joy in every moment and joy, joy is around us all the time and it's kind of it's like a choice yep we see joy or not but then also you know it's important to manage that resource because so joy doesn't become denial yep so it's like every cloud has a silver lining but you know you have to acknowledge the cloud to be able to yeah you can't happy face everything can you no exactly so actually you know talk about joy i talk about acknowledging pain and it's about that kind of that transcendent experience of you know living with the pain, accepting the suffering, and you know and and, and experiencing joy in in that kind of um, in that way. And I actually refer to a quote that really struck me um, and felt important to bring in from Viktor Frankl. Mm-hmm. Man's search for meaning. His man's search for meaning. So his uh, his stories from um, inside a, a Nazi prison camp. Yep. And I can't remember the exact quote, but then he talked about how um, finding joy in in moments, and talk, he talked about how did he put it? I can't quite remember. But it was like the mastery of life, something about the mastery mm. of life, about being able to find joy in those moments. And I thought, well, if they can do it in those conditions, you know, surely right. we can do it with us. And also, the, you know, the other thing about joy is that how joy is infectious. That when we do share our joy and we do it from a really authentic level. 
how you know we can really spread joy and you know another person will feel it when it comes from a place of real authenticity another person feels that joy and yeah. we can spread it as like it was flown so you know yeah it's a really important I love thing. that yeah. and I think I'm really pleased that you did include it as number seven because and maybe this says more about me than it says about mm. anyone else but you know I think to 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 many the concept of joy can almost seem like frivolous yeah. or you know it's that kind of oh yeah i'm going to enjoy myself and all that once i finish the the, the uh, work day or whatever else yeah. but actually it's in many ways it's the most precious isn't it because yeah. as you said earlier with money we're looking at the the things it can give us the energy it can give mm. us um which inevitably is about feeling joy mm. you know the the wisdom is uh, about how can we you know, bring joy and all that kind of stuff. So it's almost, in a way, it's almost like if love underpins them, then almost joy, joy does as well, yeah, kind of so. thing. I think so. Right. And that's actually, it's a, so this has been my sort of challenge, really, and working for myself and building my practice from my heart, which I've been really passionate about doing. Mm. The, the permission that I give myself is that I don't have to do something if it's not fun. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> And that's how I bring joy into my life, and uh, yeah, and I and I follow that kind of energy of joy, and how uh, connect with people through that, yeah, yeah. joyful connections, and yeah, and it's it's just a lovely way to live. L- love that, yeah. No, I get I get that, and I and I think that's what strikes me about you, Olivia. It, it's like it clearly could only be written from your experience because it's what you're doing. So you're, you know, this isn't a bunch of kind of concepts that you've cobbled together you're actually kind of built you've built this book out mm. of your the way you live your life mm. and i think that's really powerful because you're you know you're walking the talk sort of that i'm trying to <laughs> <laughs> and it, you know we're all a work in progress yeah, right yeah. um so a couple of things i'm really curious about i mean in the conversation we had earlier you were saying that in, in a way this is this book's all about gratitude Mm. um and you know talking about valuing what we have and that kind of thing but i know obviously positive psychology has brought forth the 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 notion of gratitude in in like modern society and that kind of thing Mm. but i think a lot of people don't necessarily connect with it or know what it's really about or Mm. so can you say a little bit about that Mm. yeah so gratitude does come within in the book within the the resource of joy and the practice of gratitude but i see the book really as as a framework for gratitude and how to bring that into life and, and we were talking just before, before we turned the, the microphones on and you know um so it's like how to how to how to really live from that level of gratitude for mm-hmm. what we've got and I, mean, I, would, I would in the past i've tried writing gratitude lists on a daily basis and it just becomes a bit of a meaningless exercise when you know it's actually well i'm grateful for the same things over and over again which i am and grateful for more but then and then obviously we're told you know whatever we're grateful for in our life will develop and i and i do believe that so the yeah so that your whole life economy is a is a is a it's really a framework for being able to to develop gratitude and from from the concept of value and i i I love that because as you say it's a whole lot because the thing is with those uh like gratitude lists or that write five things every day kind of thing or whatever Mm -hmm. uh you talked earlier about compassion fatigue and i think those Mm -hmm. things can give you almost gratitude fatigue because it comes about the practice rather than um, actually feeling gratitude whereas what you've done with this book is give lots of different ways to value everything on an ongoing basis yeah. and, and different things might mean something different at, at different times you know so yeah yeah, yeah. absolutely so just in terms of you know bringing this to you, back to to you as it were mm. um i mean you said earlier that you um you, you've given yourself the permission to, to not do something if you don't enjoy it or only do it if you do enjoy it. Yeah. And I think, you know, that, that sounds amazing. And I think, you know, one of the challenges that, that I imagine you might get with that is, well, that's all well and good, but, you know, I've got bills to pay or yeah. whatever else. So so what's what, what should be your response to that kind of... How does that work? Yeah. yeah. So, so how it works for me really is um, what I mean by that is following the energy that I've got to bring into my work and mm-hmm. working when the energy is right for me and I'm really fortunate that I'm in a position to do that I have a life that is flexible and um and and I guess I I don't know I'm motivated by by what I'm doing but um you know there'll be days when the most productive thing I can do is actually just go to bed yeah 
I mean, I'm a woman of a certain age and, <laughs> you know, let's not talk about hormones and things like that. But literally, you know, there's days when there's the most productive thing I can actually do is just maybe go to bed and have a sleep in the afternoon. Yeah, yeah. And, you know, it doesn't happen very often, unfortunately. But if I allow myself to do that without feeling guilty or I've got to be doing this, I've got to be doing that, I've got to be doing the other. And, you know, fortunately, I've got a wonderful husband that, you know, we support each other. Um, uh you know, that it's going with that kind of energy. But if I allow that energy, I know that, you know, I'll probably have a couple of hours sleep and then I'll be fine afterwards. Yeah, yeah, absolutely. But, you know, for, for so many years, if I was ill under the weather, and actually I heard some research from somebody talking about this recently, is that, um, you know, when we're ill, the first time of be, first sign of being ill is that we get fatigue. Ah. And then, so what do we do as human beings? Oh, I'm feeling a bit tired. But I'm not that tired. I'm not that ill. I'm, I'm okay. I'll just carry on. We battle through it, right? So we battle through it. Yeah, right. And then, you know, and then we get ill. And we're like, oh, God, I can't shift this illness. I'm ill and it's hanging around for ages. Go, if you're tired, go to bed. <laughs> <laughs> Duh. <laughs> you know, I know, but that's, that's it. I'm tuning into my body. I'm tuning into my, what my body's telling me to mm. do. But then having said that, you know, um, it's also going with the energy of doing stuff at the right time. So I was telling you a story before that when I was I was writing the book. So I wrote the book over this period of five weeks and last year, and then I published it the 31st of January. So the whole of last year was really getting myself ready to... I'd written this book, I'd developed this concept, and it was almost like I had some challenges to go through to develop myself into being ready to put this out into the world and do something with it. Mm. And I had to do that with the right energy. Otherwise, I don't really believe I'd be able to sit here and converse with you on the level that I am being able to. Right. If I if I'd, if I hadn't just held myself back and thought, actually, the time's not right now. Yeah. And I did quite a lot of that. Um, but then having said that, when the time was right, the time was right, and I and I and I was working really hard. And I was telling you about. I got up on Christmas morning yeah. and uh, said to my husband, "You stay in bed." Obviously, I don't have kids. And um, got up on Christmas morning, and I was working on my book because I was just by the time that the energy came, I was so eager to get it out, and I was so prepared, and I was just like it was almost like I was propelled. Yeah, yeah. And so it didn't matter that it was Christmas morning. It was I was I needed to do this. It just and it, and it came from that kind of you know really gut level yeah. doing this work and so I had to get the book ready and I had to do all the you know create space and kindle formatting you know that stuff I was talking yeah, about earlier yeah. you have to have the passion all to drive that you stuff, yeah. yeah and I was developing my website in the back of it which is just like ah, you know so yeah but um so that was a and I had that kind of that that drive came but I believe that drive comes from me from really being able to listen to my body and then sometimes um you know I do meditate in the morning yeah and sometimes while I'm meditating, uh, I mean, I, I, I don't set goals as such. I'm mm-hmm. not a great goal setter and I don't do a lot of goal setting in my coaching because I don't know. It just I think I, th- I don't know. I just don't really work well with goals. I work better with intentions. Yeah. Yeah. What, what, what for you is the difference? So the difference is a goal is a, a, is a predefined something that I'm going to set my my heart to. I'm going to um, like we set a smart goal, so it's going to be achieved by a certain time, yeah, a certain yeah, level. Yeah. And for me, that that's been actually been counterproductive in the past. So I'm not a great goal setter. But yeah. but having said that, I know what I want to do, and I know my next stage, and I follow the energy of how things are developing. And so sometimes I'm meditating in the morning, and I'll just get this feeling like, oh yeah, I'm going to do this today. Mm. Oh, I, this morning I had like, oh, I really want to send an email to. I really want to write this email. So I got up and just wrote an email to somebody, and that and that intention came. So, um, yeah. So that's what I mean, I guess, by that kind of concept. And it's great. It's a great way to be able to work. Yeah, yeah, yeah. It sounds amazing. So, and I really hear that. I mean, intuition really comes up yeah. there for me, which is which is a huge thing. And but also you know possibly another resource there is courage it's mm, the courage absolutely. to actually say because so many of us just do what we feel we're supposed to do don't we and that, that kind of thing yeah so um in terms of uh, i mean obviously you said you follow your energy you kind of work when the feeling is there to work mm. and and you have i mean you said you were fortunate to have this life but you have set this life up for yourself yeah i have and you know I think there's nothing less counterproductive than having to go to an office and sit behind a desk for a predetermined set time every day, you know. So <laughs> I really think it's really such an antiquated way of working. And I, uh, anybody who's listening who's having to do that, I feel for you. And <laughs> 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 please try and stop it. <laughs> well, with the help of a coach, then. Uh, absolutely, yeah. Yeah, yeah absolutely. Yeah. Come and see Chris, he'll help you. <laughs> Either of us, but I there you go. Yeah. Um, so, um, 
in in terms of uh, if you were to give, um, I mean, we, 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 I, I would completely define you as a maverick as we as we know them. So true-hearted, authentic, unleashing your superpowers, mm. and doing your bit to create a world that works for all. Mm. Um, if you were giving some advice to a maverick starting out on their journey, what advice would you give them? What advice would I give a maverick starting out on their journey? Um, I would like to say something about listening to ourselves. Listening to ourselves, but listening to the discomfort as much as the as the joy. And that, you know, like I said, you know, that moment I was sitting in the traffic jam, and you said you've ever experienced something like that before, and I said, yeah, I think I probably had, but I wasn't prepared to listen to it in the same mm. way. And recognizing that these moments of despair can be incredibly valuable. Mm. So don't ignore, don't ignore. I mean, you know, so one of the things I've been going on about recently is, um, you know, we look at the the rise of automation is a big thing in, our, yeah, uh, huge. You know, in the world now and how it's going to take over jobs and all that kind of stuff mm. and you know there's a talk about well can machines become conscious and i think well it's entirely irrelevant because actually i think the challenge is it's can humans remain conscious <laughs> it's a really good question <laughs> because it's just so easy to escape yeah you know we can't come and turn on the news it's oh it's just all horrible and i don't want to listen to all that it's the negative and it's just i've got completely powerless over a lot of stuff that's happening in the world so we just escape into you know facebook or social media black hole or a box set or something like that and it's just so easy to escape Mm. whereas i don't know just listening to those moments of discomfort i'm quite big and i'm actually i'm working my coaching around into these areas now i think i mentioned it yeah yeah you were talking about mentioning it into self-doubt and yeah this is a this is a this is something i'm developing at the moment so the whole life economy I'm developing around a sort of a community type. I didn't know how it was going to develop when I yeah. published it, but this is how it's mapping out, and it's going to be more like a sort of a community type approach, which makes sense. And I want people to interact with the ideas and keep developing this through their lives. So that's that. But then my coaching is going down a very, very small sort of area, which is around um, dealing with uncertainty Ooh. and the internal force of uncertainty, which is self doubt. Right. Um, now, I believe and I'm developing some theories around this, and I'm doing some experimental coaching around this at the moment, right. actually. And if anybody's interested in doing some experimental coaching with me, I'd love to hear from you on this concept. Yeah, because great. I believe self-doubt is can be a really beautiful human quality if we allow it to be. Mm. So say more about that. Say more about that. So <sighs> the presence of self-doubt can be a great indicator of growth. So the presence of self-doubt... So we want something, we desire something, yep. we doubt we can achieve it. Totally. So if we're not desiring that thing, are we doubting ourselves? So for me, the self-doubt is a bit of a, is a, bit of a signpost to, to what we want and what we desire in our lives. So the, the self-doubt is essentially the gap between what we desperately want, what we desire, and what we believe we can achieve. Makes complete sense. Yeah. So the problem, so the presence of self-doubt, no problem. It's the response to self-doubt, which Good. causes the problem. Got it, got it. And that's where you're going with your coaching. That's where I'm going with my coaching. So we can either respond through anxiety about the uncertainty of the future, or we can respond through excitement about the uncertainty of the future. We can respond by isolating ourselves. We can respond by um, allowing ourselves to be open, collaborate with people, bring creativity. And, um, you know, so I also look at from another, another perspective, is like what uncertainty brought us. What has certainty <laughs> and confidence brought us in the world? Boredom. <laughs> and Boredom. rubbish. And yeah, 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 yeah. Extremism, intolerance, exactly. narcissistic leadership. Well, we, we, if we look at examples of people who are really certain about what they're doing. God. Yeah. yeah that's, where's the room for growth? Right. There yeah. just isn't, is there? And, and it then becomes about rigidity of i'm certain about what and i'm more, yeah. I'm more certain about i'm right than you are and exactly, exactly. you know and so on and so forth yeah and so self-doubt is often seen in lots of coaching programs motivational tools is about something to overcome and to squash and conquer and all that kind of stuff but actually i i don't i don't hold with that yeah. you know let's embrace self-doubt and then and use it and use it and then you know when we get to a level of being more confident Let's still allow, allow room for doubt because we're allowing room for growth. We're allowing room for life to unfold and we're allowing 
you know, space for, for beauty to happen. And so, oh, I love that. Yeah, so, I love that. Yeah, I love it too. I love it too. I'm really passionate about this. And, um, and I'm, as I said, I'm just doing some experimental stuff around this at the moment. I'm working with a few people and I'm saying, well, can you just explore this through the lens of self-doubt? Oh. And explain what I mean by that. And, uh, yeah. and I'd so like to take you up on that. Oh, I'd love to. <laughs> I'd love to work with you on it. Uh, you know, it's like, um, and the great thing about experimenting with it and being allowed to do that is that I'm not kind of predetermining any outcome for a client. Mm. Um, you know, it's like, well, let's see where this goes. Let's see what happens. Let's see how we can use this. And some lovely stuff happening. So I'm going to do, be doing some case studies. I'm going to be doing some more writing around that. But Awesome. Yeah. Can't wait to see where that one goes. Yeah. And what I hear through all this, and I, I heard it earlier and wasn't, I didn't pull it out, but there is that thing about letting go of the resistance. Mm. You know, Stephen Pressfield in like The War of Art on Turning Pro talks about that whenever we um, we embark on a creative endeavour, mm. uh, our internal resistance comes up yeah. in equal and opposite proportion to the level of the endeavour, as it yeah. were. And, you know, what I know from, like, gratitude and from what you're saying is, it's like, actually, stop resisting. Grease the wheels of life, as it were. Yeah. And uh, This is a 21st century way. I think this is the modern way. This is what the world needs, I think. You know, that kind of, it's all very old 20th century, isn't it? That's just like wore in yeah, yeah, <laughs> that's yeah. what i feel anyway you know absolutely absolutely mm. i was actually uh, on a phone call yesterday with a guy called glenn elliott who's gonna be a future podcast guest but his thing is called it's called rebel playbook and it's all about employee engagement he was just saying like so many of our ways of working now are sort of based back on like to the industrial revolution yeah. and you know when it was about keeping the the um the machines running and all that kind of stuff and it was just like actually i hadn't thought of it that way but that is, it's not even 20th century, it's like 19th century, 18th <laughs> century, so time to bring things up to date, yeah, I think. Yeah, let's do this, yeah. <laughs> so I'm just kind of curious, a couple of, couple of questions just to yeah. bring us bring us home, as it were. So first of all, who, um, I'm always curious around who people's kind of heroes and heroines are, or big influences are, mm. so I'm just wondering, who are your big influences? Mm. Well, my biggest influence in my life has to be my mum, might be a bit of a... <laughs> trite thing to say but it's absolutely true oh i love that um you know she's been an example of i mean if i'm a maverick my mum is a rebel i'm afraid okay okay (laughs) you can make her a bit difficult to manage now she's 82 but uh, (laughs) i can imagine but she was she's really the person who showed me that um you can do more with life she changed her career she she achieved her msc when she 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 studied in her 60s she achieved her master's degree when she was in her 60s wow you know, she's still talking about doing a PhD, actually. But I don't know. <laughs> <laughs> How amazing, though, to have that life force. So I'm thinking of doing a PhD when I'm 82. Yeah, exactly. And she's incredible. She is, yeah. That's yeah. amazing. And she's also shown me a lot about how I don't want to live my life. So <laughs> <laughs> she's been a great example to me. Awesome. Yeah. And also, you know, I, and I have endless people. My coaches, um, particularly my, one of my, my business coaches, a yoga teacher, is working. She's, you know, bringing her stuff into the world. Her name's Kathy Gorick. Right. And she lives up in uh, Forest Row, which is not far from here. Yeah, she's yeah. working online, you know, and she's she's doing a lot of good. And, and I wouldn't be doing that. That book would not exist if it wasn't for my relationship with her. Cool. And then, then there's many other people as well who I, you know, connect with. But yeah, yeah. I I love that. And what I uh, I don't make it. Maybe I'm making a supposition out out of something here, but I've noticed it through the several interviews, I, uh, the many interviews I've done, is that. I don't know about you, but when I was young, I would have said all the people like, you know, Nelson Mandela, mm-hmm. or Richard Branson. But actually, as I get older, and I just heard it from you, it's like, actually, they're people in my life. Mm-hmm. They're not necessarily the big famous people, I don't think. It's like, actually, everyone's kind of cool. So yeah. I really love that. Yeah. And so, yeah, I think this goes back to our wisdom. If we allow that, you know, recognize that everybody has their wisdom. Everybody. Yeah. Has, we can learn something from everybody we meet. Yeah, yeah. Everybody. Absolutely right. Absolutely right. <laughs> so, final question, and this is the one that uh, I ask every every guest, and it's always the one that stumps people. <laughs> so, let's see if it does for you. And that is, what's the one question that I haven't asked you that you would have liked to have been asked? I've heard you ask this question other people. Oh, what would I have liked to have been asked? Honestly, okay, that's that's cool. It's it, it's one of those ones that sometimes people jump in to say, actually, I'm really passionate, you know. Yeah. And other people's like, you know what? I'd love to dig deep on some wisdom for you, but I think your question has been so great, and you've allowed me to really talk and you've given me the space to totally be myself. So I, I really think there's nothing more to add. Uh, that's always my uh, 
that's always my intention with these kinds of things, so that we we leave the conversation kind of in a complete place. Okay. So, uh, Olivia, thank you so much. This has been an amazing conversation, just really rich, and I love. Uh, like I said earlier, what I love is the person I see sitting opposite me here is not someone who's just espousing a philosophy. Mm. It's someone who's talking out. It's actually talking out of wisdom. It's actually you're uh, you're living a, a lifestyle that you've was born out of experience mm. and you've written from that place. And so that's the difference, I guess, between philosophy and wisdom. <laughs> you know, and I really love that. So thank you so much for being with us today and, and being so generous with your your answers and your honesty and compassion. Well, thank you for having me here. It's been a real privilege and yeah. Cool. Brilliant thank stuff. You. Brilliant. You're very welcome. And so that's it, Mavericks. That wraps us up for today. Thank you again for listening. And we'll see you again on the Mavericks Unlimited podcast next time. Bye for now. Hey, listen up. Don't go yet. Did you get something meaningful out of this episode? Well, the most meaningful thing that you can do right now is to go and leave a review on iTunes because those reviews are what keep us here. And please make sure to share and to subscribe to this podcast. Finally, are you unleashing your superpowers? Well, if so, show us on Instagram with the hashtag Mavericks Unlimited and we'll see you over there. And with that, thanks so much for listening to the Mavericks Unlimited podcast at mavericksunlimited.com. Bye for now.